Hello friends and welcome back to Of The Essence with Liz. Today we have one of my favorite guests. She is back for round two, technically round three because we actually recorded an episode but the audio wasn't great so we did a re-recording and she is just a trooper for hanging in there and talking about a lot of the same stuff in this episode as the unaired one. Whitney is a women's psychiatrist and neuroscientist dedicated to helping women develop a relationship with their body and an intimacy with their physical and emotional connection. She was inspired to study psychiatry from her father, who taught her and her sisters biology, how the brain works, and what it feels to love what you do. Whitney is just such a intelligent and in-touch human, and I love every single conversation we have. She just has this innate intelligence about the body, the brain, the connection of the two, and getting intimate with your feelings and feeling to heal. So I love Whitney and I'm so grateful for her to coming back on the podcast. Anyway, you are going to love if you haven't listened to our first episode together, you definitely should listen to that one. We talk about Whitney's breakup, how she got through it, and how she knew it was time to break up. And we chatted a lot about breakups in general, tuning into the body and the frequency of love that you desire. In this episode, we chat more about how do you trust that there's someone resonating at your frequency of love? Uh, we talk about red flags early on in dating. We talk about her new relationship as well as love bombing and how Whitney's professional expertise has helped her in dating with her own revelations in past breakups as well as navigating mental health with a partner and getting a sense of where someone you're dating might be in terms of mental health as well. And I share a few personal things as well. So this is a great episode. I always love chatting with Whitney. So I hope you all enjoy the episode and a reminder to leave a review for me, please. If you wouldn't mind, I would love you so much. And it helps me to expand my reach and expand my community. And it just means the world to me. So I'd be so grateful if you left a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Whitney. Okay, this is a re-recording for everyone, and we are just jumping right in. So welcome back, Whitney. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy to have you. And uh, we were just chatting about your new relationship. So yeah, okay. You were telling me how initially it seemed like he was love bombing you and there were all these red flags, but now you guys are dating. So I don't know. How did that process go? Well, I'll tell you a number of things. Um, one thing is, you know, initially when you're dating, you kind of have to try to suss the person out fairly quickly. Like, you know, do you have the same values? Do you like the same things? Is there like an abusive comp? Like, is this person nice? <laughs> Are they sweet and charming? And then, you know, I was really navigating a dynamic of like a really sweet guy who like complimented me and was just really just like into it and and then and then the navigating it of love bombing. So we talked a little bit about love bombing before and it's I think it's really interesting. There are certain cycles of abuse and like relationships with 
you know, narcissists or psychopaths or people who are on that spectrum. There's like everyone's on a spectrum. So we all have some of these traits where we maybe think more of ourselves than others. And you just want to be in a partnership with someone who's able to like have enough give and take about what you like and thinks about you and is giving, you know, and then if you're in a partnership where people can be a little bit further on the narcissist or psychopath spectrum, it's like they have a little bit less capacity to understand, feel you, predict you. They have a little less resonance with you socially. And that can be difficult to identify early on because a lot of times, you know, they've figured out how to catch a partner and they've looked at movies and read books and have figured out what to say. And so oftentimes the initial stages of dating can be somebody who almost like says the perfect things or says the movie things. Or it's like, sometimes it's like too much, you know, it's like a little bit too much for the situation. Like they don't quite know yeah. like that it's too much, but they know what to say from a movie. So they like see the movie thing and you're like, I mean, I love that, but like, this is a little too much for this situation. And um, right. <laughs> those, you know, and they can't tell that it's like not right, but it also right. feel good. You know, I can feel like, wow, finally, like somebody who appreciates me. And then, well, I've experienced that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, what, what did you experience? I mean, I've experienced guys being like, oh, you're just so amazing. Like, you know, on a second date third date and I'm like you really don't know me like but at the same time I was like it feels so good because I think I am amazing <laughs> yeah yeah and also sometimes they could be sharing their feelings right like they find attraction they're really into it maybe they are fantasizers and so they're into the fantasy of who you are and and then they could be sharing with you like oh I feel really good around you I feel like there's a lot of potential here a lot of times when it gets to be a little bit more on the like narcissist like spectrum, at least according to the books, <laughs> that's where I learned about the bunch of books that talk about it. And also I'm like being a psychiatrist, I've learned about it clinically, but it's different when you're, when you're in the dating world. They'll like, they'll mirror you and we all mirror each other. Like socially, we won't even without thinking about it, we'll start to like mirror each other in the way we move and talk and our body language. But they will more consciously mirror somebody and they will highlight the similarities. And generally we all do that. We're like, oh, you love surfing. I love surfing. Oh, you like to run. I like to run. Like, and you might find that this person maybe will mirror you a lot and maybe a little bit more than you're thinking is right. Like they might not have their own separate interests that much, or they might find, you might find that they're saying, oh, we're so similar. We're like the same person. Or they might really just highlight those similarities outside the norm and there's a range to this but it's just good to notice like as you're trying to find resonance and shared values you want to know like are there those differences because those are still important and like if this person is always really mirroring you and everything then you got to put your guard up a little um yes okay can I ask a little more directly like how long did you guys how long were you in the dating stage until you decided to like be official I guess Oh, yeah. So with so with my boyfriend and I, initially, when we started dating, he, like he was really had a lot of compliments. And so I kind of thought he was love bombing because I've been in love bombing situations and read about it. And I was like, yeah, I think you're love bombing. <laughs> I think sent him all these these like articles on it. <laughs> I was like, read these. Yes. Well, what's going on? Um, 
And then I was afraid. I, I was afraid of the other side of that coin. I was afraid that that meant that he might have other parts to him that were kind of, you know, on the negative side. And I was like, oh, is there any narcissism? Is there any sociopathy? Like I'm on alert, you know, when you first start to meet someone, you're on alert, you want to make sure. And so sometimes like classically, the storyline goes like at some point they'll switch. They'll like flip a switch and like all of a sudden be like really abusive. So you go from this like incredibly loving over the top where soulmates kind of vibe to like abuse, like verbal abuse, physical abuse, like that's the extreme. And that's when there's like a, and then they'll flip back and forth of like abusive or neglect or they won't show up or they'll be flaky. And then they'll like say, I love you and say, I want to be with you. And then they won't show up and they'll be flaky or they'll like, say you're horrible you know like this is the hot and cold that can be that toxic relationship and and so I was kind of always on alert for that like okay where's is where's the shoe gonna drop like where is the entry part gonna come in and and also just being you know a woman who's had relationships go well and then some that haven't and you know we're all going through dating and having shitty situations having situations that work out and the shitty situations can kind of stick around sometimes and they can like color the way you look at your future relationships. And you got to be definitely got to be aware of it. Like, oh, shit. Am I having a trauma response? Am I having a paranoid reaction to something in my past that maybe isn't this situation? And I do think dating while having a therapist is really helpful because you can help sort out some of those more like fearful based behaviors that you're having in partnership. And help you kind of come to it like open and grounded and trusting of yourself and your judgment. So do you now think that it was a fear response uh, when you thought that he was love bombing you? I think mainly that was what's going on. Yeah, that that I was afraid of, of like love bombing and I didn't want to be in a psychopathic relationship. <laughs> and now with enough time. So we were, this is after three months and. Okay, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. And. Just getting to know him more and see how he operates. And we went on a big trip together. So we got to see like navigating the stressors of that. And there were some, there were moments where we had to kind of navigate the tension of like needing somebody else to do something in a timely way and like taking directions. And, and then, yeah. And what I really got from it, from all this time is that people show you who they are eventually and how you navigate the parts that are unique to each other and come together is really important. So if you're, if you're starting to be in a relationship with someone where they really value the way you talk and communicate about things, and then you both kind of work to make adjustments for each other so that it can work, that's so important. And that's what we've kind of, we started noticing with each other. And there was no, like, the way you're doing it is bad and you're a bad person. Or there's no, like, um, you're wrong and you're bad. And there was a lot of empathy and understanding of each other. And honestly, I think one of the biggest things is I got so scared that I ended up, I broke it off because I was like, I don't know, I can't do this. And then usually in a, like with an abusive person, that's when you see their true colors. They'll be like, I can't believe you did this. How dare you do this? Or like, you're worthless. Or they'll go in on themselves. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. Like, you know, and or like you'll see yeah. some like abusive thing. And I didn't see that at all. It was like really caring, empathic, passionate, really sweet. And so I was like, oh, like this person is okay. Like he's not attached. He's not clingy. He's not, he like 
have balance. He can understand where I'm coming from. Like an intense thing, like ending it is something that they have empathy and compassion for. Like, okay, that's a good sign. And I went like a week and couldn't stop thinking about him. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I need to maybe try this because this man is full of love. And I was afraid that it was part of like love bombing and it, it hasn't been the case. Wow. Well, good recognizing. And that's amazing. I'm happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. It's been so interesting to kind of navigate what, what are your red flags early on? What are the things that you're like, that are deal breakers? And they're so nuanced and they're so unique to us. And, you know, coming from a psychiatric background where I really look, you know, I, if I see a personality disorder, I can, I'm going to really run the other way very quickly. And we talked a little bit yeah. about this time, like what are the types of personality traits that you look for that might be red flags early on in dating and people who are, they call it cluster B, but like, yeah, like they don't have the empathy. You can tell that they're not really connecting with you. They might be using some manipulative tactics to get you to hang out with them, but it kind of feels icky and you might be curious or wondering, but having a good sense of intuition, like that icky feeling, even if it goes away, like when you had it early on, what was that? I do have a question, like kind of related to that, like during the early stages of dating, like how do you stay connected and different uh, to your body and differentiate between normal nerves and anxiety and a red flag? I think normal nerves and anxiety are kind of, can at least for me, they're kind of taking over the the space of my self consciousness. So it's like, I usually am anxious maybe because I wonder, you know, is this going to go well? Is he going to like me or am I going to meet his friends and what are they going to think? Or they're like they, some like self-reflection anxiety. And the red flags, I think, end up as like, uh, you're anxious about them. So like, I don't know, the anxiety that I get sometimes that's just like naturally normal. It's kind of like, oh, am I doing it right? And the ones that are anxiety that are red flags are like, are they doing it right? <laughs> and it's, it's really fascinating. I feel like a lot of times the more things you do with somebody that are operational. So I kind of, I heard this early on from a Spartan podcast, but it was, it was about how to make connections with people. And the more meaningful connections you can make are when you're engaging in an activity that's like you're creating something together. And so I feel like if you are interested in somebody and you want to see what it's all about, then I would recommend doing a date where you are making something together. Like you have to navigate logistics, you have to navigate timing, that you have to create something together. So you see how they operate and like, you know, are they a giving person or are they a taker or are they... Do they get like so hyper-focused that they can't see anything else? Or do they, you know, you kind of some of their like more reflexive behaviors come into play. I think that's really helpful. You kind of see people with their guard down because, you know, when you're on a date, it's it's so like putting your best foot forward. Everyone. Yeah. And you don't really get to know someone until they're in the trenches of shit of life. And then the beauty of life and like see what that is. So. I would say definitely that's a good yeah I like the idea of doing that or just even something active where you're not just like sitting at a bar like even if it's going for a walk something a little more hands-on I think would be better but yeah I love that and seeing okay this person's like very logical or rational and like 
maybe I'm more of like a kind of impulsive person. Yeah. Building a sand castle. I think one one time I made um like sand candles and it was like we had to choose like what were we awesome. And the logistics yeah, craft stuff or yeah, designing. I don't know. I can't do oh, like making a t shirt together. Like, hey, let's go on this date and Let's make a t-shirt to commemorate it or, and then like you des- design it together. Like then you get to see like how they operate. That's fun. I know like in the last episode, we chatted a lot about like your breakup and tuning into the frequency of love that you desire. Like how did you trust when you're in the midst of the breakup that there was someone out there resonating at your frequency of love and yeah. How did you hold that vision when you were like in the depths of the breakup yeah and this is really interesting because i'm reflecting on my breakup and then i also work with a lot of women when they go through theirs and what i've come to learn and i don't know if this is universal but from all of this experience you know when you're breaking up or you're kind of like thinking about breaking up and there's a lot of there could be a lot of voices like oh you should do it this way or you should do it that way or you should stay together and make it work or you should you should go to couples therapy you should oh you already broke up with him and it's toxic and you, you're staying with it you're staying in communication with him you should block him you should get off you know like and yeah as much like advice as we can take I honestly felt like my body just did all the work like I could cognitively think about everything but I wasn't gonna do anything until I had this felt body somatic sense of what was happening and that's when it happened. So, you know, I was wa- wondering like what we needed in this relationship. What else, what else we needed? It, it didn't feel like it was, I was fully satisfied. He wasn't fully satisfied because I wasn't fully happy and like we couldn't figure it out. And there were some places that we just like struggled. And I knew it cognitively for a while and was really actively working on it. But in my head, in my mind, in my thoughts, like it could, they couldn't fix it. And um, it wasn't until, I hugged a guy friend of mine and felt like a level of love in him and feeling and sensation in him that like was translated to my body where my whole body realized the, the felt sense that my relationship wasn't the one. And that's when, yeah. It so it was like my brain was all over it, my mind, you know, the thoughts, but then it wasn't until like my whole body felt it that that's when I, mean, I knew that we had to break up. And then I did. And then the unknown, right? But I had this amazing guy friend who like gave me this great hug. So I could put all my unknown onto him and be like, oh, you know, there are men out there who have love and maybe he'll want to do that with me. And it didn't end up working out, but um, <laughs> but he taught me so much that was possible. And once I was out of it, you know, once I was out of it, I could kind of see and feel I trust, I just had this knowing that I was going to find someone. I didn't know when, and I had a lot of fear that I wasn't going to find someone in time. Um, I'm 37, I want a family. And I also had a lot of fear of like, I don't, how do I trust the unknown? Like that unknown person up there, out there isn't found yet. And they haven't found me. And I had a coach one time say, everything you're doing to like get yourself ready and prepare yourself and to learn and to grow and thrive, like they're doing too. And that person is doing it. And you guys are going to meet when you're ready to meet. And Mm. it was a beautiful coaching moment. um, And I started to trust a little bit. Sometimes I kind of did a little bit of like 
the delusional thinking where I was like, oh, I'm going to meet them. And I would just feel like what it was. I just feel like what it felt like to have already a partner and just like sit. Mm, yeah. And that felt really nice. And I was like, okay, like that's possible to treat. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. A little bit of magical thinking, but I think it helped get me through it. But there are a lot of times where, you know, people dating for five years haven't found anyone. How do you have hope? How do you have trust that that person's out there when you've had that long time to try? No. To be single. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, even me, like I've been single, okay, like on and off for like three-ish, three, a little, yeah, three years. Anyway, of course, I've had some people I've dated in that time, but I like, fuck, it's been a, it's been a while. Like, it feels like it's been a while. Like, at the same time, I'm just trying to not freak out about it and like have ease with it and just know that like I am really learning something from everyone and um I'm getting better with every person I date and mm-hmm. I really feel what you said too about knowing logically that you have to break up with someone or that the relationship's going to end and then it kind of not catching up with you until your body really feels like for me it was like I just felt like I could not go first the first what would happen was I couldn't have sex with the person anymore was mm. not attracted. That went away. Your body. And then, hey. yeah. And then like over time, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like this whole relationship is like a no for me. Like, but I had to come to terms with it. And sometimes it took longer than others. Like it, it has taken like months for me before, which, you know, I also feel bad about because I'm like, I don't want to be stringing this person along. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like full disclosure. So Um, yeah, I feel like you really do need to like feel the full essence in your body in order to go through with a decision as big as a breakup. Yeah. Everything has to kind of be lined up for that. It's not easy. Yeah. And then I'm sure you've learned a lot though from your clients too, um, how they dealt with their breakups. One of the, yeah, one of the things that I really practice with patients is that the way they're feeling about it is really important and valid. And like a lot of times we might try to push it down, numb, avoid, not feel grief, you know, try to ignore. But but that the, you know, if you want to keep talking to your ex and it hurts, but you can't stop it, then you can't stop it. And then you keep going until your body's like no more, you know? And I'm and I'm not gonna be the person that's like, hey, you have a toxic boyfriend stop talking to them. You need to stop talking to them because for some reason your body's still connected and still wanting and there's something valuable there in the learning. Like you said, every person I'm with, there's a learning experience and there's something to learn. And so even if it's harmful to to you and your body is still doing it, right? There's something that's there that's like to learn. And it can be a number of things. You know, it might be like, oh, you're your need for closeness and affection is greater than your pain threshold. And you need to learn that about yourself. And what does that mean for your decisions in your life? Like, and then how do you create like a balance between good and bad in your relationships where you can develop healthy ones and you are attracted to the healthy ones and you're a no to the toxic. Like eventually Mm -hmm. rough situations 
you know, the toggle between the hot and the cold, people usually get to that. Okay. And you just need the hot, I need hot water now. <laughs> um, and it might take a little bit longer to do that. So yeah, the, the no communication, the communication, the, you know, I got so much advice around my breakup and I was like, we are conscious uncoupling. Check it out. It's great. We love each other. Hang goodbye. Check it's it out. And then I got myself served because like conscious uncoupling kind of feels like you're breaking up over and over and over again every time you like have a new form of uncoupling. And so I was like, damn it. Instead of just breaking up once, we broke up like five times in different ways. But I wouldn't have done it any other yeah. way. My body was not going to do it any other way. My body's going to do it that way and I'm grateful for it. And even if it was painful over and over again, I wouldn't do it any other way. So you got to listen yeah. to your body and if advice comes in and it clicks in your body and your body's like, oh, that's good. You listen to that, but you can't help it, you know? Yeah, it's hard thinking back on, you know, times when a relationship hasn't been necessarily a clean break. And but at the same time, I'm like, well, it was all part of my journey. You got me where I am today. So would I change anything? I mean, I guess not. I mean, I would. It's tough because I've definitely been through some shit that I wish I didn't have to deal with. But at the same time, it made me who I am today. And like, I have to find some, I don't know if I'd say gratitude, but grace with, you know, everything. I don't know. It's yeah, it's weird. But, um, you know, dating is such a ride, though, especially in your 30s. Oh, yeah. The stakes are so high in your 30s, I find. If you and at least if you want like a fam, if you want like the marriage family thing, I feel yeah, like you got to do it now. If you're gonna have a family, and it's a lot of pressure, definitely a lot of pressure. It definitely is. I recently actually was like, I don't know, I was taking dating too seriously, and one of my friends was like, "You need to just get a roster. Like, you need to have more fun with it." And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, I am taking this way too seriously. And so now I'm bringing back the fun to dating. How are you doing that? I'm just like, I have been a person who has like put all my eggs in one basket in the past. And I'm just not doing that. I'm trying to like leave my options open, be very honest and, you know, um, open and communicative about everything. But, you know, leave my options open until... I decide to take it to the next level with someone or we decide, but yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of my friends who's getting married this weekend. It, she was dating one person at a time and she was complaining about it. She was like, I just don't know if this person is right. I had hired relationship coaches at one point and they were like, always date multiple people, get on that bandwagon. It's not a bad thing. You're not a bad person. Literally just you're increasing your options. I kept on telling her, hey, just like date multiple people, go for it. And eventually she came around and then she started being, I think the next date after it was like a, you know, she was dating another guy, but then she dated this guy and he ended up being her husband. <laughs> so I'm just oh, so- see, we love that. No. And it's like such a different energy that you bring to the date. Like, you know, this guy that I was dating, only him for a bit. And then I was so anxious. that I felt like it was like, desperate energy and then I started talking to this other guy and I'm like you know what I'll just see what happens with both of you guys like 
I started to care so much less about the first guy because he wasn't the only one that was like in my field, you know? So we'll see what happens. I do feel like it gets a little like murky once you start having sex. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want to be having sex with multiple people. Um, So I'm not there yet, but I am having sex with one of them. (laughs) I think, yeah. I think it's a gross, it's a gross moment uh, to, to kind of check in with yourself. Like what feels good for you? What feels good? How much do you communicate? You know, there's some people who would like rather not know. There's some people who would really need to know like for safety reasons or, you know, like what kind of safety situation sex and, you know, what people is going on. So yeah, it's a really big growth moment. It's a new thing and reflecting on intimacy and yeah. And also trust. You know, as you're building a relationship with someone, how you want it to be on a foundation of trust. And, it, you know, if you spend a lot of time with multiple people, some of that foundation is a little bit not the truth. So that can be kind of hard. Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like I do start to feel like it's murky waters at a certain point. But I don't know. For now, like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I have to keep reminding myself that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's fun, right? Like. Yeah, like I, I needed this to because I was getting so anxious and like, and I think it is really good. So yeah, that's it. Wow. I've, I've been thinking about like our initial gut reactions to dates and people and like, and then as we get to know them, it's just, you know, I had relationship coaches that had said like, go on at least seven dates with someone before you end it. And there are those people who seven? are like, yeah, seven. But then there are those people who are like, a lot. never go on a second date, we're done. And then there's people who are like, okay, there are maybe. And then there are the fuck yeah people. And I'm like, oh, why can't we just be with the fuck yeah people? Like, that seems smart. <laughs> but, but exactly. Is the seven dates a waste of your time? Or, but you know, there are some people who like a lot. in love with each other as they start to get to know each other. And it's not love at first sight when you first meet them. But down the line, they actually are like, wow, there's a lot of compatibility. I mean, there's another part to this, which is like the deep compatibility in people that it's independent of like the first time you meet them or maybe even the second time. But there's like a deep compatibility that can come from like ways of being that you don't even know until later. Mm-hmm. My first partner, like I knew, or my last partner, like I knew we had a lot of compatibilities and we also had a lot of differences. And we spent a lot of years trying to navigate, like, what do those differences mean? And are they going to be a problem? And I think like the, can you guys talk the same language? Can you resonate really? Mm-hmm. Like, are you, do you really value the way your, your mind and your body, each other's minds and bodies work? And, and there's so many layers so, of relationship. So. Yeah. I'm curious what sort of differences were kind of like the deal breaker for lack of a better word and what kind of differences can you work through i can only speak to myself but well maybe maybe there's a way to generalize it i i would say some of the biggest deal breakers early on that are not workable are like those core value systems so you know do you have the same not always the same religious and political philosophies but the core values underneath those philosophies i would say like do you believe what's your family structure do you believe in a certain family structure like do you you know want both people to be financially independent and contribute to the family or do you want a partner that stays at home and takes care of the family do you believe in certain aspects of like gender roles 
that are the same. You know, a lot of times, like how this family is structured and how you want it to be and how you think about career and finances. You know, if those don't match up, that's going to be hard to make it work. Well, those are things, you know, it's not on a second date. Hey, are you financially independent? And <laughs> or you not? And are you okay with that? You know, like there's just like a, a different layer to that. It's kind of hard on a, on a second date. And people don't talk about money that much until way later because it, I mean, it should be private to some degree. But so that's, I think, a tricky, that's a delicate spot of like. Yeah, it's an awkward subject. Yeah, like no one's going to be like, oh, this is my income and this is how much I have in savings and do I have a, like an investment account? And But there's some, I think it's like a joke, like the, some people jokingly on a first date or those things. But I would say looking at the, each other's goals Oh, do you want to buy a house? Are you somebody who wants to have a family? Do you want to, you want to support your kids going to college? Can you do that? Or are you somebody who's looking to invest? And you can kind of get a sense for like, you share the same values. <laughs> yeah, I like those ideas. Um, and how would you get a sense of someone's mental health early on? Oh, yeah. That can be, that's tough. I think getting into a level of, closeness where that person where you each feel safe enough to share some of your more vulnerable struggles um the quicker somebody shares usually the other person will start to share so like it's helpful to honestly like do you sleep like that's a like do you know if that person sleeps <laughs> do they sleep well <laughs> that's would be not number one like first second third date like or if you stay overnight you know like does this person sleep and when I ask, that's like one of the first things I ask my patients too, is like, how is your sleep quality? Because that can impact your quality of life, your mental health, and such an elemental thing. And, you know, obviously it's not a deal breaker if like someone doesn't sleep well, but it can have an impact on mood. And so that can be one really important thing. And, and then the other thing um, is family history. Like, oh, anyone in the family with depression, anxiety, like if you notice that they're struggling with mental health, that doesn't necessarily mean that person is. But it might be a gateway into into it. But I, you know, getting assessing the mental health usually comes from like, hey, sometimes I've struggled with this or this, and what is your experience with that? Have you had any mental health stuff in your family or your life? And yeah, no, totally. It gave me like the write up of his psychiatrist <laughs> from like three years prior. <laughs> He's like, I've never shown this to anyone, but here you go. It's everything. <laughs> and I just like read it over. <laughs> Was it juicy? Yeah, it was great. I learned a lot about him from it. Wait, so his therapist like analyzed him? He had like a psychological evaluation and I read it. (laughs) Oh my God, that's very, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it was really, I liked it. I felt closer to him after. I think a lot of times the sharing of like the mental health and the struggles can build intimacy. And if somebody's struggling Mm -hmm. with all stuff actively, you know, it's like you're with someone who is more suicidal, that stuff will come up and you'll start to see like, oh, are, is this, this person's not available, really? Well, I shouldn't say that. But yeah. How do you navigate someone with serious mental health struggles in a partnership and like, how do you support them or ask for support that you need? Yeah, so it can vary so much. Depends on like how much that person is willing to receive and they might be more private around it, especially if you're dating early on. If it's later on, they might be more 
connecting around it. But the biggest thing I would say is helping, you know, just really supporting that person and getting therapy or a psychiatrist and that they start to get help. If they have that, I would look into how much, you know, how much is that person taking care of themselves? Are there any places where they can get support more like friends, family? Um, and then you have to decide, okay, especially early on in the relationship, is this something that is my responsibility or do I need to step back and let them take care of themselves and like circle mm -hmm. back feeling better? And so that's maybe a really important decision to navigate. Like, does this mean that they're not available for a relationship if they're going through these struggles? Not necessarily. They might be chronically struggling with it all their life. And so I want to dive into like their sense of self and what are their goals and how often do they struggle with this and do they have a handle on it um, or do they need help and help them get to the level of care that they need. And a lot of times when you're dating or starting in early in a relationship, you might actually be the closest person to them. Like you might actually see them in more intimate settings more than, you know, their friends or their family because you're spending time together. So yeah, it can be a really valuable spot to be in for somebody to really help them get support. Um, but then also, mm -hmm. oh, it's not 100% your responsibility if they can't or they're, they're not, you know, you can only do so much. You can only make the recommendations. You can only call the people. You can, yeah, but you can't like enforce them if they're not getting the help they need. Yeah. And obviously the most extreme, one more thing, the most extreme version is if someone is actively suicidal and planning on having an attempt and you definitely call 911, get them to this like emergency room, regular emergency room, and they don't have a choice actually. That's a scenario where it's not their choice to go or not. That's when they're in a danger to themselves or someone else. That's when it's your responsibility to make sure that they go and it's not a voluntary thing at that point hmm. that's scary i can't imagine going through that yeah yeah and you kind of have to you have to use your judgment because a lot of people can have thoughts of like oh i'd rather not be here or i don't but they would never actually do it it's just kind of like a thought versus like yeah. oh planning to go do this here's my letter yeah oh my gosh so let's say you're dating someone who's having serious mental health struggles you know you're trying to be there for them but it's kind of causing friction or conflict in your relationship when is the right time to seek out couples therapy yeah i would i'd be curious you know if somebody has serious mental health issues it's going to mean that they're going to actually require more resources on for themselves like it's a time to kind of turn inward work on yourself a lot of resources and effort and time on yourself so that person's going to have less bandwidth for like being present in their relationship. And so. Okay. Well, let's, let's say they're just issues in their relationship that it's not necessarily tied to the mental health struggles. Okay. Oh yeah. When do you get coping? Okay. Got it. I would say the second somebody has a thought, maybe we should get couple therapy. <laughs> you should totally do it. Totally do it. Because. It's such an incredible resource. Insurance covers it. It is, you can find someone on Alma or Path, mental health online, and you can do it virtually. It doesn't have to be like this whole hubbub thing. And I've had friends, patients, like really make strides in their relationship from couples therapy. So 
I feel like the barrier is a lot lower to finding it now. And there are more people, like so many people are getting trained to be marriage and family therapists. And it's just a really burgeoning field. So I recommend like the second you think about it, I mean, I almost want to get it just preemptively. I'm like, can we just do it? <laughs> You're not having yeah. any, like, I want to be in it. <laughs> and one of the things, nonviolent communication, that's a big one. My sister read that book and she told me about it and I'm like loving it. It's just like learning ways to talk to each other so that, you know, your, both of your experience of the world can be shared and can be shared in everything. Mm-hmm. If you, once you get that down, like speaking to each other with care and ease nonviolently and not like reflexively, reactively, you know, volatility, there's a lot of volatility. It's just a game changer. And yeah, so I recommend the second you have to start, dive in. It's worth it. Even before. I love that. I mean, I feel like I would definitely do it before I marry someone. I was like a well, pre-Kana, it's like a Catholic tradition. One of my good friends is doing that right now because she's about to get married. But that's, I guess, like a tradition in obviously the Catholic faith. But I think it's actually just like a really good practice to be like, how are we going to deal with certain things? And just to have that groundwork. Yeah. I imagine, you know, you might think if you're building partnership in a family, like, there are lots of common conflicts between partners, like common common challenges and thinking about like, oh, if this happens to us, what would we do? And how could we do it in a nice way to support each other? It's really valuable. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of your favorite questions? I know you actually did touch on a few of these, but um, questions like in the early stages of dating to get to know someone better. Uh, um, we're just doing those 36 questions to love. Like that. Yes. I love them. So one of the ones that we just did, which is actually really challenging, was in four minutes, can you summarize your life story? Which allows wow. yeah, really good one because you start to hear like through all stages of development, like how your partner and you conceptualize their sense of self. And that's like mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that one. Yeah. And it's I it's for us it was way more than four minutes. I think that four minutes is a joke. Like just to get you started. But yeah, it's really helpful. You learn so much that way. And the other thing was if you could go to dinner with one person, who would it be? Who would yours be? I thought I wanted to invite Sally Ride because my mom is an astronomer and she worked Sally Ride when she was younger. And I dressed up with Sally Ride in third grade. And she's the first female astronaut. And I just think it would be so cool to hear about what her experience is like being a That's woman, really cool. an engineer and then in space and kind of a trailblazer. So, yeah. What about you, Liz? What, who would you want to invite? I've been asked this before and my answer is J- Jimi Hendrix. Nice. <laughs> yeah. He was like such a legendary guitar player and like he changed the game. Like I'm such a music person. So I just feel like it would be so fascinating. We'd have a lot of stories. Yeah, but I'm sure I could pick like 10 other people who I would also love. It's so hard to choose just one. Like it would be, I would, it would be really interesting to choose someone who is like a mind or thought leader and, you know, someone who is like very powerful, like even like Hitler. I mean, you know, someone with like that much power, like I would not choose him, but it's fascinating. Yeah. Definitely fascinating to like 
learn about very extreme people, how they function. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think, yeah, like one thing that's kind of come up again and again, especially around like what happened with me and love bombing and then realizing like, oh, that's actually not what's going on. And I had a friend of mine, she was getting to know this other woman as friends. And then all of a sudden she's like, stopped talking to a woman stopped talking to her. And she was like, very confused why that happened. She reached out, but she didn't say anything. And she recently like reached out again. And a woman said that um, she had come on a little too strong for her. And she had been in past friendships that had happened at that pace and they ended poorly. So she didn't want to continue to be friends with her. And hmm. I thought it was interesting because I, you know, part of me thinks, yes, if you're, if you have someone coming on like too strong and it feels uncomfortable, like that's important. And, and what's a response because of like a prior situation, you know, when are you responding to a scary, shitty thing that happened to you in the past and not the situation that's actually in front of you? And how do you navigate your comfort level with that? And that's part of why I think it's really helpful to to do therapy, to work through like, you know, tough stuff that's happened in the past. Like, have you had friend breakups? Have you had boyfriend breakups? Like, have you had family ties broken? And what does it feel like to go through those breaks? And when those breaks start to inform your new relationships and your new friendships, like, I would, that would be a really interesting time to reflect on like how your body might be operating in fear paranoia and gear, like not trusting when there could be something really beautiful there. I really like that Um, because, I mean, everyone moves at a different pace, right? Like, and that's normal, but sometimes someone's pace feels very slow and sometimes the pace might feel very fast and it might feel like forced or, you know, it might feel like it's crawling and like it needs to be faster. Um, and I've definitely experienced both of those things and like not everything is going to fall into the happy medium in the middle. And but yeah, it is just about like analyzing it like, OK, what am I projecting onto this person from an experience that I have dealt with in the past? Or is mm-hmm. this really feeling overwhelming to my body? Yeah. And then it's so important to have those boundaries with yourself what am I available for and what am I not available for if I'm still healing from something right if I had a really bad breakup and I might not be available for someone ghosting me you know that could be a horrible setback I've had some clients Mm -hmm. who are really still struggling with their relationship and trying to date in order to get over it and when somebody's not consistent it is a huge traumatic response because of you know, their partner and the breakup and the inconsistency that led to them being broken up. And so, yeah, I think there's like a lot of really beautiful care can come post breakup to really let your body heal, figure out like, what did you, what did you want to learn from that? And once you're available for some of the tidal waves of dating, you know, and you can handle inconsistency and not knowing and the un, yeah, the unknown a little bit more. It is. Yeah, no, it is wild. Like you really have to get comfortable with the unknown and the um, unknowing in dating because 
you're like, I'm I'm just getting to know this person and there's a lot of things I don't know. And I just have to kind of flow with it for a little while. Yeah. And I found that a really helpful practice um, while you're dating or doing something, anything hard is to spend some time with yourself, feeling your body. And that's it. Like in a meditation, um, I was doing this kind of in the morning and it allowed me to start, like, you don't lose yourself. You don't do things to please other people as much. You end up kind of having more of your sense of body and self lined up with what you're doing. And, you know, your body doesn't have all the wisdom in the world, but it, it gives, at least for me, it gave me this like awareness of, oh, where are my blocks to intimacy? This is what's coming up. Oh, I can figure that out and see that. One thing was like, I always thought, like I always kind of had this expectation of like physicality of, of a partner. And then like I realized that, oh, like love and connection and attraction is not like a one size thing. There's like mm-hmm. so different things that I didn't even know I was attracted to. <laughs> different. Yeah, people. 100%. So I've been trying to date different guys who like aren't like necessarily my type and it's been great, you know, and I think too, um, one of the things that I've dealt with recently, like my therapist helped me uncover this was that I still had guilt from a past breakup for the pain that I caused that person. And I think some of that guilt has been like holding me back and fully putting myself out there because I'm afraid to like hurt someone again. Mm. So that's been a really powerful realization and kind of just moving through some of that and knowing that like love gets messy, you know, like dating gets messy. It all gets messy at times and just being okay with it and not expecting it to be like, flowers and sunshine and that kind of goes back to like the whole thing of shutting down your own emotions it's like it's similar it's like you got to just ride the waves and dating but oh man sometimes easier said than done (laughs) wow well it's so valuable to have that like like a therapist and, and and someone helping you around say if you have a really good friend you know who's good at that but professional help is really really helpful to kind of navigate in dating because what is it like you're when you're in a relationship like your biggest demons come up and your best yeah and you kind of come face to face with a lot of parts of ourselves that are well otherwise as present and getting to look at that like people pleasing maybe not wanting to hurt someone else even if it is the thing that you need around feeling totally yeah and I think it's crazy, too, because I feel like I've done so much. I was talking to someone about this the other day. I feel like I've done so much personal growth work, but I haven't been in a relationship to really, like, get triggered and, like, get that new growth from being in partnership with someone. So it'll be interesting when it does happen. And just to I know I've, like, come a long way since my last relationship. So um, but I also know that, like, I'll never be perfect. You know, like we're always going to have to like check our ego at the door in a relationship. Yeah. Or at least know how your egos dance together. (laughs) I like that. That's a good one. (laughs) 
Yeah. Implementation. And it's so hard early on when you're just getting to know someone. Like I said, you kind of have to go through like the struggle challenge part of life. See how you navigate that before you really know. Yeah. Maybe having kids is something. Um, no. <laughs> What'd you say? Having kids is someone. It's the only way you know if they can get through challenges. Oh my gosh. By then it's too late though. That'll really throw you in the ringer. Well, Whitney, this has been amazing. If you could leave the audience with one piece of advice, what would it be? I would say, and I think that one of the big important things is that I've been learning is to develop trust in myself and that whatever I'm feeling is valid. You know, if I need to go slower, if I need to go faster, if I need more boundaries, if I need loss, that that's valid. And, you know, the advice, the common advice is the opposite of it, or even if it's the same, like it doesn't apply. Like how I feel is really important and like exploring that is really valid. So um, it kind of shows me where I'm at, like what level I'm at and what space I'm at in a relationship or in my timeline of life. So every, whatever I feel is valid. I want to trust that. Yeah, what I hope, hope can be really helpful during this time. Yes, I love that. And that's like also kind of just reminds me like follow your intuition, you know, like never shut down your gut instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of that, like learning from people who have gone through stuff and learning like, oh, what can I take from them that I didn't know before? You know, what does resonate, what doesn't resonate? Now, being in that exploration of like new ways of thinking and doing, I think that's also a really great thing. That growth, that growth that does come from learning about the external, that is also really important. Yeah, kind of keeping like a beginner's mind or at least just like an open mind to other perspectives. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Whitney. Appreciate you coming on for a a re recording of this episode. But this is, the third time you've been on so second time will that will actually be posted but anyway thank you you're amazing this has been such a great conversation always enlightening so i appreciate you thanks liz it's been a joy for me appreciate it all right bye everyone